Ladies and gentlemen, you're rocking with a goat. Ken Dow giving you motivation for growth. Two toes down, he keep it realer than most. He do it for the culture, that's always the goal. This is Strategic Moves with Ken Dow. This is Strategic Moves with Ken Dow. Hey, what's up? What's up, everybody? You tuned in to another episode of Strategic Moves. I'm your host, Ken Dow. This is a place where we bring art, culture, politics, and business all together, and we do it every Sunday right here on this channel. But when I'm not shooting this channel, I'm the owner of Strategic Resources, where we specialize in political campaigns, public and governmental relations. We've been doing it right here in Cleveland for over 20 years, and I met some very interesting people along the way, and I want to help make your next move a strategic move, and this program gives me an opportunity to do just that. So, if this is something you think you're interested in, I need you to hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button and hit the notification bell as well so you'll know the next time when someone's coming on our program. And guess what? Today, y'all, you see the shirt I got on? I got on my royalty shirt because I got Cleveland royalty in the house. R&B royalty in the house. You know, when the music used to be good and everything was like... Yeah, I'm going to tell you, I was flashing back because I... I didn't tell you who this artist is, but you don't know in a minute. I was flashing back on the gentleman who was coming on, and he has one big hit song that everybody all knows. But then I put his album on because I said, let me put through, rent through and y'all get him up and put on the CD. I started really flashing back on how many other songs on that album were hits to me. The one song that's the greatest to me wasn't the best song on that CD. To me, if you don't know, I'm going to play this little video so you'll get a chance to know a little bit about who he is. Prepare yourself for an extraordinary evening of music. Perhaps the most innovative, unique, and energetic musical voice today. Please welcome to the stage. It's my distinct pleasure. To Please give your warmest welcome to the one of a kind. I present Mr. singer of the Rude Boys, most known for written all over your face. Come on, 
opportunities for me as a podcaster and new artist out here to have someone just like you man because I know what you've done to Cleveland for Cleveland as it relates to music and your career me and Latif was talking just the other day and we was talking about the song it's written all over your face and I know you just got back from the UK and I really appreciate you coming here because you just got back from the UK and I wanted to talk about how that song is almost 30 years old isn't it yeah, man, it came out in 1991. And you still flying around the country, and people are still out there listening to that song. So, man, that's a big feat. Bill, welcome for being on our show, man. Uh, man, thank you kindly, Ken. Ken, I appreciate you having me here on your show. Oh, not a problem, man. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit. You know, our program works out that we talk about. This is a Cleveland thing, a greater Cleveland thing. Everybody's like neighborhoods and where you started from. So, Joe, tell us a little bit about where you come from, man. You, you're from Cleveland. You actually grew up here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Just from East Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Go born and raised. Went to Chambers Elementary oh, School. Okay. Okay. Kirk. Shaw went to a couple other high schools, Collinwood, John Mm -hmm. Marshall, Mm -hmm. little short stays, but I represent East Cleveland, Shaw High School, Cardinals. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? So, yeah, but I just grew up in in East Cleveland, man. You know, just a kid at the age of four that just knew I wanted to sing and love music. Mm -hmm. Um, Just really honed my craft and stayed in the house a lot. Yes, my mom taught me how to use the record player, Mm -hmm. and I chose to stay in the house instead of play. So, let me ask you, you had brothers, sisters? Yes, I have siblings, but you know I let them go outside and play. <laughs> and you stayed home, and I you stayed, was in the music. I stayed home. I stayed. Really? Home. Yes, so you did. Was your family in the music though? My grandfather, which is my mother's father, Samuel Kirkwood, mm-hmm. he was a big time gospel singer on the West Coast. Okay. Out like in Oakland, the San Francisco area, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of got my gift passed down from him through my mother and my aunt. Okay. And so you know, I got a piece of that gift, you know, from him and from the you know the higher power. Uh-huh. Just been working with it since I was like four, knowing, really? knowingly knowing that I wanted to be a singer and be in music. So, so was your family like in a church or any of that stuff that you were singing in church or any of that kind of yes, thing? Yes, I started off singing in church, Temple mm-hmm. Baptist Church, mm-hmm. where the pastor was Reverend A. E. Campbell Jr. at okay. seventy five hundred Cedar Avenue. <laughs> and you know, South we South. Call ourselves a great big family, man. So really? that's where. I got my first start, my first time singing in front of people, my first mm. solo. What was your first solo? It was a song called I Love the Lord. Really? Yes. And we called him Uncle John, John Campbell, who was the brother of Reverend A.E. Campbell. Mm-hmm. He gave me the song, put me on assignment to learn it. You know, I went home and me and my mother rehearsed it. My mom went over it with me very carefully and I got it down. And then the big Sunday came, got my, chi- my time to shine because that's how I looked at it as a and kid. How, and how old were you? 
At that time, I think I was probably like about eight. Whoa. Yeah, okay. around between eight and nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about eight and nine years mm-hmm. old. Yeah. Wow. Was you scared? No. No. Really? Absolutely not. So you knew this is what you was going to do. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. Just as a child, you know, I mm-hmm. used to sing. and People would look at me like, wow, okay, you sound good. And so mm-hmm. I kind of knew that I was on the right path. And so I just continued to practice at home, uh, listen to records. And I've studied all the greats, whether it be mm-hmm. gospel, seventy mm-hmm. soul, country, mm-hmm. pop. Who was your inspiration? Stevie Wonder, of course, yeah. who's my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank Sinatra mm-hmm. uh, is another singer that I love dearly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gospel-wise, uh, I, I was listening to James Cleveland back then, but yeah. locally, yeah. James Moore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I wanna, was listening to Commission and the wine and yeah. gospel, yeah. and then mm-hmm. really took on the John P. Key. Yeah, really great yeah. man. So, oh, so you know him? Oh yeah, that's Uncle John, man. That's oh, I like him. I, I, I around that time, I, like you say, man, I started listening to John B. Key and also, mm-hmm. so yeah. Oh yeah, I studied him extensively. So those are some of the people that I, I studied over the years. That's did what, Did you sing in high school and were you with the guy at the talent shows and all everything, that stuff? Everything, everything that I can, <laughs> everything that I can get involved with. So really started off at, at church, uh-huh. and then I got my my second opportunity outside of church because I sang there consistently mm-hmm. when I got to well kind of like when I went to Euclid Park Elementary I had a my first uh, music teacher who inspired me was a you know a guy named Mr. Elleridge mm. you know at the time he's a white guy and we we studied a lot of pop songs mm-hmm. you know songs mm-hmm. like Summertime the man that shot Liberty Valance mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just a lot of like pop culture songs mm-hmm. And so there, you know, I felt comfortable because I really love pop songs. I used to watch all the black and white movies mm-hmm. and watch Frank Sinatra, who is one of my favorite, Dean mm-hmm. Martin, yeah. people like that. I love big band, man. That's one of the one of, one of my favorites. I actually did some big band tunes. I remade yeah. some Frank Sinatra songs, mm-hmm. Nat King Cole. Okay. I remade some of his stuff. Okay. Like, you know, and I really had a lot of fun with it. That's real singers right. music. Exactly. You can't play with it. You got to hold your notes right. Right. You got to right. really do it properly. So, mm-hmm. you know, I love that. And it, it conditioned me and showed me, like, everything ain't all the bells and whistles you need. You just mm-hmm. need to have a great tone, textures, and breaths. So, so you sung your way through high school pretty much, and was you in the groups there? Was you a group of guys singing, or you was always? No, nah, just a solo artist. Really? Um, you know, just doing all the different talent shows around mm-hmm. Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I, I was part of every talent show that you can name. I made mm-hmm. made it be known that I wanted to come and I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. So I was very, very confident young man. I wasn't, didn't think I was better than other people. Mm-hmm. I just knew that I was good and I understood that I really wanted to make it. I wanted mm-hmm. to be, I wanted to, you know, grow up to be accomplished when it came to music. I wanted to win awards. Mm-hmm. I wanted to win number one. I wanted to have number one hit songs. That's where you was going. Right. That's what so you want to do. I, I ate it, slept it, and mm. all that other stuff that come with it. So so when were you when did you get to that point where you knew that all right, I'm going to be getting into this group with the rude boys and maybe I'm gonna go down that path? Well, I started off me and my best friend Mark Jenkins. Okay. We still best friends, been knowing him since he was five and I was six. Mm-hmm. We would always just practice singing together. Mm-hmm. And so the my first taste of singing with someone was with my friend Mark. Okay. We had a song called I Really Love the Lord that we sung together in church at Temple. Mm-hmm. And so we was kind of like a team. But okay. I didn't really look at it like a group. Okay. Next I met a guy named Edward Buddy Banks. 
mm-hmm. who would become one, my, my one-two punch with me with the Rude Boys. Mm-hmm. I met him at Temple Baptist Church, him singing. Mm-hmm. And like, man, when this dude opened his mouth, I was like, wow. wow. Like, just blown away. He, like, was really great. I never heard nobody in person right. other than James Moore. Mm-hmm. I sing in person that was just on the level mm-hmm. of a true vocalist. Right. And so I tapped in with him and just was like, hey, man, I want to get with you and I want to sing. Mm-hmm. You know, I want you to teach me some of the ropes and train me. Mm-hmm. So we got together. So we end up putting together a gospel group called Power, mm-hmm. which was consisted of Buddy, Mark Jenkins, a mm-hmm. guy named Eric Davis, okay. and myself. Okay. And we started rehearsing and we went around to different churches singing as a group. Okay. So that was my first group mm-hmm. that I sung, sung with was a group called Power. We actually got a, started off singing at this place called the Your Alternative hmm. that was up on Kinsman that a guy named Sonny Jones mm-hmm. had opened up. It was a gospel nightclub. Um, really? His daughter's name is PJ, PJ Jones. She okay. works at 107 and 93. Mm-hmm. And so um, we started off singing there, and then we went to a host of churches and sang together. Okay. But we soon converted. So so uh, how, how will you say that? And I already say that. What, what was the conversion? Well, Buddy, it came to me, and he was just like, man, I want to do R&B. Mm-hmm. And so he was just like, he was. he was. Before then, you really didn't think about doing R&B. Yeah, yeah I did. I mean, I, <laughs> I sung gospel because it was a way of life for me. I came up mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. But no, I sung plenty of R&B. I sung more R&B than I did church music. Okay. But it was about even. I, I say it was even because I studied gospel music a lot, but I, a lot of the R&B legends I study heavily. So when you guys were, and we'll go back there, but when you guys were doing the gospel tours and the the thought process was to maybe take a career and building a gospel career in singing, it was that in your mind? Or was you just really just trying to figure out your way through it before I decide which path I was going to take? I wanted to be R&B. You knew all along yeah, I, I wanted to go R&B? Yeah, I knew that I wanted to be R&B. I okay. Mean, that's, that's what... But what I wanted, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I was truly inspired gospel wise because along the way during my gospel days, guys named Jodeci, they were a group, mm-hmm. um, and KC, they mm-hmm. were called Little Cedric and the Haley Singers, and right. that was right. right. And so that's KC right. and JoJo. Right. They were part of that group, and then years later, I seen them part of Jodeci. Exactly. But you know, so it just goes to show you a lot of a lot of the '90s groups. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far ahead, but we most of us are like. From the church. Correct, correct. Because you know? Jodeci so, and them, they were on the guy's album before. Father uh, MC. Father MC. Treat them like, like you want to be treated. Exactly, right. exactly. So, yeah, that, that you're, you're totally correct about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I always wanted to do R&B, but gospel was, I don't want to say a stepping stone, but it mm-hmm. was just, you know, mm-hmm. where I started at. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I really loved the gospel music, especially mm-hmm. when the contemporary era came when mm-hmm. the whinings came right right commission and no gospel, like the gospel is the core man I oh mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, 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 it keeps you grounded it's good music oh yeah no so you say then you take a chance and get out here and do yeah, some buddy R&D? buddy came to me he was like look man we need to start a group you know and, and this group you know we need to call it the rude boys and i was like the rude boys i'm like where <laughs> you get that from he said off a button on prince jacket on the Controversy album, he said, man, I just think Prince is calling out for me to start a group called the Rude Boys. That's just how he <laughs> said it, man. And so I'm like, all right. You know, because uh-huh. at that time, man, I, I really looked up to Buddy. And I loved him. So whatever Buddy said, uh-huh. I was like, all right, man, whatever. You know, he, mm-hmm. was, he was just like the leader, you know, mm-hmm. as far as vocally teaching me how to do stuff. So um, I was like, cool. And so but Buddy, 
my best friend Mark Jenkins, mm -hmm. and a guy named Blackie. We okay. call him Jeff Rozier. Okay. We started a group called the Rude Boys, and he had Jeff Rozier had a studio on the west side built in the basement of his house, mm. which was the first studio I ever, like I had never recorded before. Wow. wow. And so Jeff had the opportunity for us to come in and write and use his studio. So for the ver very first time, we went in and we recorded a song called All the Love I Have for You, mm. which me, Buddy, and Mark wrote. And it was the first time I got to hear myself singing. Mm -hmm. And so that was, we was really trying to start the group. You know, it was the, the start off. But we was just trying to like really write some songs, get some stuff recorded. Mm -hmm. We took some pictures and I was trying to get it going on. But then there was another transition that soon came after that. So when you when you say that and you had songs already you had in your mind that you wanted to write, how, how do you write a song, man? Let me just you you got you know people say I just wrote this song, man. Where do you get the inspiration to write a song? Like the song, your first song you wrote. What was your inspiration when you guys say we gonna write this song? You remember how y'all put that together? Buddy played a track, and I just started writing a song. I've been searching far and near for a love that can't compare to the love that I'm giving. Girl, you know my love is real because I'm expressing the way I feel through this song that I'm singing. Mm. So that was the first song that I ever wrote to music, and it was called All the Love I Have for You. Mm. And so, I mean, it was just, like, natural because as a wow. kid, I used to write songs, mm -hmm. but I didn't have any music. So mm. this was the first track that I ever had a track to write to, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then soon after that, Buddy did another song, and I wrote a song called This Love, it was would become one day on our second album as the Rude Boys national worldwide. Mm. And so at that time I was just writing, mm -hmm. you know, what I felt, what came from inside. What came from inside. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's sort of like poetry a little bit, huh? Absolutely. I've never been a poet, but when I look at songwriting, mm -hmm. the lyrical content, I see that it is poetry, especially when you try to make it rhyme. So mm -hmm. a lot of the songs over the years I wrote, it was all about the rhyming because of course, I come from the initial hip hop era, okay, and I love rap music, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. And so, I was just like, okay, well, you know, if I can make a nice, dope song and just make it rhyme a lot, okay, and say some stuff, you know, some use of metaphors and different mm -hmm, things, mm -hmm. um, you know, it could come off good with the R and B. So, I concentrated really on rhyming within my song. Was it within your song? So, what was the next transition then? You said so. The next transition, you know, we made some moves. With, with the first Rude Boys, with, but then the, the second the second part, part two, was a band. Mm -hmm. and so we constructed a Rude Boys band, and so it was a Buddy and myself, mm -hmm. and we picked up a new member with, and Melvin Cephas. Mm -hmm. We had a guy on drums named Rick Scoville. Mm -hmm. We had a guy on bass named Kyle Morris, and we mm -hmm. had a guy named Troy Henderson that played keyboards along with a guy named Bud Philpotts, wow. and we were the Rude Boys still. Wow. So therefore, we put the, put together a band. We start rehearsing in the basement of Kyle Moore's mm -hmm. uh, house in Cedar Brook in East Cleveland. Wow. I mean, in, in Cleveland Heights, <laughs> right around the, around the corner from your daughter's school, <laughs> okay. the Heights Tigers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we was over on Cedar Brook practicing in the basement daily, and then another transition came where Bud Philpotts he left, and we picked up Larry Marcus, mm. who would come with become you know the guy that was instrumental in like really getting us to do original songs and writings and singing mm -hmm. and so we would go to different clubs and bars and mm -hmm. we would be singing and you know have our band going which in that in those days i really wasn't singing a lot it was really more so melvin and buddy 
Really? You know, I was playing keyboards on the park. I used to have one song I played, the baby face, I love you, babe. Mm -hmm. And I'd get on the keyboard and play my little bass line. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but other than that, I was kind of like a background singer, have a little leads here and there, but Buddy and Melvin were mainly the lead singers. So how do you determine who's the lead singer in a band? Well, then, I mean, I felt as if I could be a lead singer, but these guys, they were entertainers. So they knew more about the staging and right. the, the styling. Okay. And so I was really like a stand-up, straight singing guy. So I really was learning, learning. and beginning groomed mm -hmm. to become, you know, the lead. But what happened was is Larry Marcus took me mm -hmm. up under his wing, and I would go over to his grandmother's house okay. on Miles. And he had a nice little four-track, eight-track setup. Mm -hmm. And he had songs he wrote, and he would want me to sing it. Hmm. And so, I mean, I was like, well, what about Buddy and Melvin? He was like, nah, man. He, he liked said, to tune. He was like, your voice. Your voice, he said, yeah. He said, your voice. I, need to, mm -hmm. I need you to sing these songs. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, you know, I would go over Larry, which we call Bingo, mm -hmm. house, and we would just, I remember a hot room. Room was hot as hell, man. <laughs> and we would be sweating. I'd take off my shirt and just get busy. He would teach me the songs, and I would sing it. Mm. He developed me as a lead singer recording-wise. Wow. So show-wise, I was still like, because we did a lot of, we didn't have our own songs. Mm -hmm. We were singing cover songs. Right, I guess, right. right. So, you know, cool. But mm -hmm. all along, in the back back in the back room, mm -hmm. I'm doing all the originals, you know, mm. setting the tone. Okay. You know, and so that's just how it started. And so as we went on, we, we eventually started doing our own songs that Larry wrote. And he had a guy named John McCurley who was going to back us and put some songs out. Mm -hmm. So we did a song called Rock That Booty Right. <laughs> we, we had a song oh, called really? You Know you, you you Must Know Magic. Mm. Those are like the two first originals that I, we had really? as the Rude Boys. Uh -huh. And we was going to put it out, but some unfortunate things happened. And we wasn't able to put it out. We were all set, ready to go to the radio with Lynn Tolliver <laughs> and everything, man. But rock that booty right. Yeah, rock, rock that, that booty, booty right. How did rock that booty left. right go, man? You know, rock that <laughs> booty right. Roll it to the left. Shake it all around. Yeah, hey, you like know, that. you might have to revisit it. Nah, man. I nah, I ain't going to do nothing like that. <laughs> but it was funny. And You Must Know Magic was a song about a girl that was like, had like cast a spell on a guy. Really? Yeah, and it was just like you must know magic. You mm. know. Now that yeah. sounds like it might have something. Going. That's that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's corny cool. though, man. Yeah. In our days, but well, back then, yeah, it was it was hitting, you know. But mm -hmm. it, it could probably be reconstructed in a way where it could be put out. So, well, you know. Give it to the Migos. Yeah. And so that's what we did. <laughs> we right. <laughs> so that's what we did. We started doing our own songs. But yet and still, we were still gigging and doing, you know, down in Akron and Canton mm -hmm. and up in Cleveland okay. and different places, Dayton. We would be doing, you know, little clubs and bars. You know, they call it the Chitlin Circuit. Yeah, the Chitlin Circuit, know? right. And so that that's where it was. We were right there. And then another change came. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is the big one, right? It's the big change. Okay, how did right. this one? Like, I was waiting next. So I'm gonna, how did yeah, that one this go? Yeah, is, this is unbelievable, man. I mean, you know... You know, Ken, all my life, man, I, I used to tell my friends, you know, outside and at school mm -hmm. that one day I was going to be, you know, I was going to make it. Right. And I was going to win awards and I was going to have number one hit songs. And, man, they would laugh at me, you know, and then they would be laugh at me because they'd be like, Joe Little can't come outside. I'm like, I don't want to come outside. Mm -hmm. you know, I want to be in the mirror practicing. And, right. You know, just 
at the record player studying and singing and learning songs. And so this next change was like really surreal. So in the time being, I left home early. I left I left home early because I just didn't want to, I was really being just disobedient. I didn't want to go by <laughs> my mom's All right. and my dad's rules. So I right. left home while I was in high school. Okay. And a guy named Levi Massey took me up under his wing mm -hmm. and kind of groomed me the rest of my teenage years. Mm -hmm. But during that time, I was still running around with Buddy mm -hmm. and initially, you know, doing the gospel group with power. And so it circled back around to so, where... So, so, because so, I'm a nosy go Negro ahead. and this is my show. No problem. This is your know, show, bro. You know. So you left home because, mm -hmm. you know... We get to that point, you know, I, Absolutely. I, I understand. We, you left home, but you still stay grounded a little bit because you say you were still doing the religious stuff, so you were still uh, Yeah, but, Ken, I was in the streets too, bro. Yeah. So I was in so the streets. So the music was, was kind of keeping music, you. I never let keeping, go of it. And that's what I was keeping it. you in the spirit it. kept of it. it, but I was in, huh? in the streets, right. drug peddling, selling drugs, getting involved in gangs and stuff. But I still kept my core values. It's right. still music. Still, you had some center. Yeah, yeah. Right. and that's music what still was you. my thing. Mm -hmm. And so this next step that came mm -hmm. was like surreal. So during this time, I met a guy named Eric Nolan Grant. Okay, who now was in the OJ's. Okay. But at the time I met him, he was singing background for Dennis Edwards, who was one of the lead singers of The Temptations. Mm. So I was really blown away. I'm like, wow, you sing background for Dennis Edwards? And I'm like, mm -hmm. this is like the first time I'm subjected to someone that's really connected mm -hmm. to the industry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he would always tell me, man, I know Gerald Levert and the Levert. No, I know Levert, the group Levert and the okay. OJs. And mm -hmm. uh, the OJs, they managed a group that I'm with now. And, you know, Walt, Eddie, and... You know, but I know them. I'm like, you know, the bird. Like, oh, okay, cool. And so, me, another point in my life is the Gong Show scene, right? Which I discovered with Eric. He showed me, you know, going to places, the competition. They put up the numbers. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of bars that had the Gong Show. Going so on in go, here around? Yes, man. Really? And so that was a whole nother circuit. This was after my talent show circuit. Mm -hmm. I went and started singing around adults. Okay. Which was a whole nother level. So mm -hmm. when I get here, I'm like, whoa, these people are on another level. Mm -hmm. I'm just a teenager singing in right. talent shows, standing up. You got guys dropping on their knees and <laughs> doing all that stuff. You know, guys like Tony Taylor right. and Leroy Simmons right. and like all kind of different singers that I was seeing. Mm -hmm. You know, Reggie Walker from Glass Tear. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was seeing these guys and I'm like, whoa, this is a whole nother level. Right. But it taught me. So within that, Eric took me to the reason why. It was a mm, club in, yeah, on Shaker why. Square right. owned by Ron Bolton, mm -hmm, one mm -hmm, of the Cleveland mm -hmm. Browns and his yep, wife, Kuja. Yep, yep. And uh, he would take me there. And so there on a certain, I think it was Thursday nights, Evelyn Wright, the jazz singer. Still singing. Yes, yes, <laughs> would be there. And so Binky introduced me, Eric uh -huh. Nolan yeah, Binky right. introduced me to Evelyn, and she would let me come up and sing with her. Wow. So I used to come up on Thursdays, look forward to it. And you know back then she was a big deal. Oh, yeah, she was a big deal. She was a but big deal. But this reason why I was a big deal, because when mm -hmm. I go in here, there's a bunch of grown people to right, me. Right, right. And they, like, people, and then they have people come sit in mm -hmm. and sing, and I'm like, wow, man, mm -hmm. this is... So I'm learning, man. There's some great singers. Mm -hmm. And I find out that, like, yeah, I still got more work to do. Right. You know? So in that time, it was the same time I was in the Rude Boys and we was gigging. Mm -hmm. So I told, one night I told Buddy, I was like, man, you should come up to the reason why, man. They be going. 
be jumping, man. There'd be a lot of people up there singing. I said, you probably know everybody up there. And mm -hmm. they'd be mentioning your name. Man, you should come up there with me. So one night, Buddy came with me. He met me up there. And Evelyn let us come up there and sing. And so we up there singing this song called Everything Must Change. Mm. So at the corner of my eye, I look on the steps that they used to go down. And I see Gerald Avert. And I'm looking at Gerald. I'm like, I'm like, man, to myself, I'm Gerald Avert. I said, hey, everybody, here, we got Gerald Avert from the Vert, man. Gerald, why don't you come up here and sing with us? And Gerald looking like. Like, you know, like, dude, who is you? But see, what's crazy, before I get to the story, I met Gerald like probably a year before that because Eric took me up to the Levert Mansion. And I'll never forget, they had Casanova out. Mm -hmm. He was like, man, they up there rehearsing. Come on, I'm going to take you up there. And so I went up there, and I'll never forget, it was a side door to the mansion, and I stood in the door, and there they was. Wow. I'm looking at these guys like, that's Levert. Mm-hmm. And I'm like tripping. So the rehearsal end, we come out, you know, Gerald come out. And Eric's like, man, this is my little brother, man. You know, Gerald, meet Joe Little. Mm. And I start cracking jokes on Gerald. Gerald, like, man, where you get this dude from? Where did he come from? Jokes I started cracking just, I don't, man, I was, I was wild. <laughs> I started just, you know, being real familiar with him. Like, uh -huh. I knew him and just talking and saying stuff and uh -huh. cracking jokes. Uh -huh. He's like, man, where you get this dude from? Like, man, <laughs> gone. Like, like, man. So this is my second time seeing him, right? Okay. And so I don't know if he remembered me from that time, but okay. I'm like, Gerald, come up. So Gerald came up. Oh. And we sang. We sang Everything Must Change, man. And we blew the spot up, dude. You and him? Me, Gerald, and Buddy. Wow. We blew it up. And so afterwards, he was like, yo, man. He's like, man, y'all brothers can go. He was like, man, I want y'all to meet me tomorrow, man, because I want to hear some more, man. I, I want to work with y'all. Really? And just dude, like that? did that, dude. My, the inside of me was just overwhelmed. I could not believe it. Dude, while I'm telling you this story right now, I'm just reliving it, and wow. I could still feel the feeling mm -hmm. that I had at that time. And so man. I couldn't sleep that night. I went mm. home. I'm walking across the floor like, man. <laughs> and so the, the next morning came, and I'm I'm like, you know, we ain't got no cell phones back then or mm -hmm. nothing. All I got mm -hmm. is a pager. Right. And I'm just like, I call a buddy on the house phone like, man, come on. We got the address. Meet me up there, you mm. know, at the house. So we get up there. We meet. We get to the door. Knock on the door. A guy named Andy Gibson comes to answer the door, who would be the president of Trouble Productions, we mm -hmm. learned. Mm. We went up these stairs and went to the right, hooked in, looked in the room, and Eddie Levert was sitting there. And I'm like, uh-uh, like Whoa. this can't be real. I'm instantly Whoa. nervous. Wow. For the first time in my wow. life, wow. I'm nervous. You know, while you was telling this whole story, I, I was thinking about Jerry, but I always was thinking about Eddie. I was like, Eddie, in my mind, I was like, boy, I guess this was how it must have felt to me, Eddie LaVert. Man, I, I can remember as a kid in front of the record player listening to Brandy. That was mm. my favorite OJ right, song. Right. But I knew about them, of course, because like I told you, I studied the greats as a kid. Right. So I didn't seen them on Soul Train. Right. I didn't seen them on the awards and on TV and on in books. And so I'm looking at this dude, and I'm like, "Dad, he little. I thought he was a big dude. <laughs> nah, a little dude. He's like, he was a little dude. And then he was like, hey, how y'all doing? Come on in. And so Gerald's like, Dad, these are the guys. And Gerald was like really excited. Really? I'm like, dang, man. Damn. He was like, Dad, these are the guys I told you about last night, man. Mm. These these boys can sing. Mm. Right? And so he was like, all right, let, let me hear what y'all got, man. You sound then, like you. Then, man, I've been around <laughs> guys forever. He was like, yeah, man, you know, yeah. And so right before we got ready to sing, a, a phone call came. Mm -hmm. And it was Steve from Troop. They had mm. just 
had a number one hit, wow. Mama C, yeah, that Gerald right. and Eddie wrote. And they was on the phone like, Gerald, Eddie, thank you, man. We appreciate you. So Our they song wrote that song. Gerald, Mark Gordon, and Eddie LaVert wrote Mama Cita for True. Really? And I'm there on this day that this guy's calling, talking about we just got a number one record. Thank you to y'all. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in the right place. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm you there right with place. Eddie LaVert, man. And I'm with Eddie. I, I listen, mean, I'm there with Eddie LaVert. Come on. Gerald LaVert. And Troop Justin called talking about thank you for writing the number one hit song. Right. I'm like, hey man, this is this, this is, it. is it. This is it. And so we went, we we sang. I sang first and I sound like crap mm. to me. What did you sing? Now I don't even I think we sung Everything Must Change, the same song. You try to go right night. back again. We went back at it and I sung it, but I was nervous. My mouth was dry mm -hmm. and my Did Gerald sir how to sing it with you or he told no, you? No, Gerald just wanted us to sing it for him and his father. Okay. And so I mean, to me, I guess it was good enough, mm -hmm. but to me, I felt like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. So Buddy came and knocked it out the park. He did his thing. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Dad, I told you. I told you, man, what you think? He's like, they all right. He's like, man, dad, man, whatever, man. He's like, man, I'm working with y'all, whatever. Really? And the rest is history from there, man. We, I started hanging out. So I started hanging out with Gerald more. I started rolling up on the spot like, yo, what's up? He's like, this dude. And he's like, I was like, man, you don't remember me the first time you met me. He was like, man, that is you, ain't it? He's like, man, you an adamant little dude, ain't you? Because once you done told me, we down. Uh-huh. Is you it? Gonna see me. You say next morning. You like when we right. start? So they had just got the ninety. Uh, they they had just got the studio on ninety third and way. Okay, right. And so I used to pop up, pop up at the house, go, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. what's up, you know, you like right, what's up, man. And so I never forget, man. And this before we even came out. One night before we even really start working. Mm -hmm. One night I came up and it was tour buses out in front of the the big mansion on mm -hmm. South Park and Lee. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, man, I'm like, where y'all going? He's like, man, we going on tour. We on a tour with Karen White and Bobby Brown. I'm like, man, can I go? I want to go. He's like, come on. I said, but I ain't bring nothing with me. My car is here. He's like, man, look, park your car in the, in the driveway. He said, man, when we get to where we going, I'll give you some money and you could just go shopping and buy you some clothes. Really? I jumped on the tour bus. Here I was. I was going on so tour you with LeBert. A, B. Got to see Bobby Brown. <laughs> wow. Like, you know, all that, like. It was it was crazy. Like I was mm. like, okay, cool. So you know that was my first experience on a tour. Mm -hmm. Just Gerald told me to just, hey man, park your car, bring your keys with you, and you know. When we so get what did to you this, do? I parked did, my car in the driveway. I'm talking about when you was on tour with them. Man, they were just singing, just watching. They, I mean, them. I was just out in the atmosphere. I was on mm -hmm. a tour bus. Never mm -hmm. been on a tour bus before with beds on it. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, this is the life that I'm about to have. Did you it. know. Mm -hmm. So we go to Virginia. I never forget that our first stop was Roanoke, Virginia. Mm -hmm. And we stopped in Virginia, Karen White, Vert, and Bobby Brown, and I think MC Hammer. Yeah, it was Hammer too, <laughs> Hammer right? Too, yeah. And so just out there getting the feel, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. I never experienced nothing like this in my life. How was Bobby Brown? Was Bobby the chilling Bobby, back there? Bobby cool. Brown, man, you know what? Bobby Brown is probably pound for pound. He set the tone for R&B male artists. Back then, Bobby was rocking. He's the man. Yeah. I mean, he the king of yeah. stage, man. Yeah. No matter what, like yeah. Bobby Brown, his swag, his mm -hmm. everything that he brung mm -hmm. as a, a male R&B black singer, mm -hmm. is he set the tone. Like when mm -hmm. you look at Chris Brown and you look at Genuine and all the different, mm -hmm. all the different entertainers that dance on stage mm -hmm. when they singing, you know that's Bobby Brown, man. He the Godfather, bro. Yeah, Bobby, yeah. He the king of stage, he yeah. and the swagged out.
Mm-hmm. Man, you know, he came out that first album, Don't Be Cruel, came out, came with hit after hit after hit after yeah, hit. Yeah, yeah. He just had the right ingredients. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that tour was great. And I came home and we just started working on the album. You know, the Rude Boys, we started working on the album with Gerald. And so during this time, I'm in the streets. I'm going to mm. say, you know. Why are you working on the album? On the album. And I'm working for the city of Cleveland. You know, really? What you work? My mom got city? me a job working as a custodian for the city of Cleveland. Really? And I actually was working at the police headquarters. Oh, jeez. Right. Exactly. <laughs> of all places. So, right. you know, but really working hard on the album, mm-hmm. being focused. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I juggled it, but I was, I never gave up on the music. And we really was putting together a great product. How long did it take you to do that? Was that it was a while. A year? Like, a little less, a little more? A year and some change. Because mm-hmm. at that time, during the time when we got close to finishing the album, and not, not let me forget about Dwight Thompson. So let me mm-hmm. scale mm-hmm. back because mm-hmm. I don't want to forget about my guy. Mm-hmm. Gerald, when he said, I want to sign y'all guys, let me get back to that story. Okay. We like, we got a group. He's like, I ain't interested. Oh, well, you know what? You I had are, to scale back. You, yeah, you do got to go back. You're exactly right. I had to go you, back. Right, so, right. you know, I had to you scale didn't, back. It was just you guys. It was just me and Buddy. Right. Like, I'm not interested in nobody else. I'm interested in you guys. I was like, but we got a group called the Rule Boys, Gerald. And mm. We got, you know, a band. He like a band. <laughs> I'm like, man, he's like, man, I ain't no. Oh, he thinking. Like, ching, no, ching, I said, well, I said, we do got, we got Larry. Marcus and we got Melvin Cephas, them as the two the other two group members. But we did have a band and we were a band, mm-hmm. bro. Right. But you know, Larry had already start we had started doing the the originals. Mm-hmm. So we were like grouping up mm-hmm. in that way. So I finally talked Gerald into it, like to meet them. I'm like, man, you gotta meet these dudes, man. We I can't lead them. Mm-hmm. And so he met with him. He's like, all right, man, cool. I'm gonna put y'all, you gonna have the four. He said, but y'all need to add another member. I wanna add Dwight Thompson. You know what I'm saying? Because back then at that time, light skinned guys was in. Mm-hmm. You know? So he mm-hmm. wanted to put a little flavor in the group. Plus his brother Russell Thompson that played the sax was playing for Levert. Mm-hmm. And so he wanted to put, you know, Dwight in the group. So he building it up. He building it up. So then that's where we started, but then soon as we went through the project, Dwight wasn't in the group anymore, mm. you know, and so it was just back to us four. Okay. And so we worked really hard on the album, getting close to get it done. I call it case, call it drug case. Um, mm. Yep. And so I end up having to go to the penitentiary for some for a few months. Really? Yeah, man. So here I am. I'm just like, oh man, I didn't blew it. So what you do, man? You got busted. Drug trafficking. Really? You got sold drugs to an undercover cop. Oh. And you know. And you only got on, a couple of months. You got had me on video talking oh. and everything. Had me talking about me singing and all kind of stuff, man. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I didn't look. say nothing uh-huh. for a long time. I said something to Larry. Mm-hmm. But one day we in the studio and Gerald came to me. He's like, hey man, I need to talk to you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's up? He's like, the street's talking, man. I'm like, the street's Damn, he had street. to find out that way. He's like, yeah, man. He said, I heard you got a case, man. You might be, you know. I'm like, dang. Mm-hmm. He's like, man, why you didn't tell me? I was like, well, you know, Gerald, I didn't want to lose the deal. I didn't want to mm-hmm. lose everything I was going. And, and you know, I had a little tear coming down my eye. Just like, man, I don't want to lose out on what I'm, what, what I'm, what we doing. And he mm-hmm. was like, man, you should have just came and told me, man. He's like, no, I love you, man. You're a little, you like my little brother, man. I, he said, we got to just see what we can do. 
So I got a lawyer and Gerald kicked in and my mom, my pastor from my church, Reverend Campbell. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I went to get sentenced, they still wanted to send my butt up. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Because it was undisputedly that right. I did it. It was my first, you know, okay. first offense. Right. And so I ended up getting sentenced initially three to five years, man. Ooh. Yeah. But my lawyer told me that if I went, there were some ways that they could work some things where I could get super shock probation. Mm -hmm. And so I went in. My first visit was at Mansfield Penitentiary, the old one. Mm -hmm. And then I got transferred to Pickaway. And it was a total of about like six months, something really? like that. Gerald made, he waited. Mm. It's like, and my judge let me out. No, it was a little bit less than that. I got out after four months. Mm -hmm. I got this, what you call super shock mm -hmm. probation. Mm -hmm. Judge Jose Villanueva, who I'm always oh, thankful. Yeah. I'm so grateful to, to this day that he believed in me. I mm -hmm. had to write him a letter mm -hmm. and this and that. And my pastor mm -hmm. wrote a letter and I'm thankful to, I always say, if you out there somewhere, Jose Villanueva, Mr. Mm -hmm. I think he retired. Judge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I said, man, just thank you for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so when I got out, the, the album was mixed, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and they was like, hey, man, after a couple of weeks, you know, I had probation. They gave me five years probation, bro. <laughs> yeah. But but they had special special stipulations where I could go. Because mm -hmm. uh, they knew what you were doing. Yeah, they knew okay. what I was doing. And so we were off to New York within two weeks of my release. Wow. And Gerald waited for you. God damn he waited for me, man. And I'm thankful for that, you mm -hmm. know. Now, I will say the guys wanted to go on without me now. Oh, you know they did. Oh, they did. Yeah, he's like, man, no. Nah. You he know told them, no, nah, dude. We and you were the guys Joe. who hooked him up. Yeah, he's like, man, we can't go nowhere without Joe. That's, wow. the, that's the guy. That's know? wild. That's the guy that's going to guide and lead mm -hmm. us and take us to where we need and to go. And, and, and you still wasn't the lead singer. No, right. at this time I was. But at this time, yeah, now you we, we did the album. Okay. But Larry always knew that he wanted me to be the main voice of the group. Okay. And so once I got with Gerald, mm -hmm. built my relationship with Gerald, I mean, it was just my tone, I guess, my voice mm -hmm. was the main voice. Buddy, much better singer than me, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. Cole. Mm -hmm. But he, he was a lead singer, but not a lead singer mm -hmm. that can, like, set the tone, mm -hmm. set things up. He's just a guy to, like, take it away. Yeah. But you got to have somebody that's going like, to have a foundation. Yay. Yeah, and you gotta have somebody that's gonna be the foundation. Yeah. And so therefore I became the main voice yeah. of the Rude Boys, like even with the backgrounds, mm -hmm. mostly, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so we were off to New York, you know, to go do our photo shoot mm. and our first video. All mm -hmm. they crammed it all together. Wow. You know. I looked at that first video. I looked at the video. Come on, let's do this, man. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. I was looking at a video. Ken, what did you I say? What you say, Ken? I, I I'm interviewing you now. So when you seen the first video, Ken, I, what did you say? I was part of that generation. So I, if, if you look that so way. You, look, you say when you look back at it. And when I look back at it, I was like, wow. We dressed kind of wild back then. And, and you I, know, not wild. Nowhere near wild. It's just, it's just a different look. And I look at it now like, man, the cuts, the haircuts and everything. Man, what I will that. tell you, what we had on still... I think we was kind of behind because I was looking at other groups like Jodeci. Yeah. They was wearing the boots and yeah. baggy jeans. We yeah. wasn't wearing that. No. Nah. And so Joe I, had I always pro I always protested. I ain't gonna lie. Mm -hmm. I always protested at what we wore. I never liked anything that we wore. Now the album mm -hmm. cover was cool. Uh huh. It's cool with it, it was kind of conservative. Uh -huh. But you know, I'm young, man. You wanna be time. urban. Yeah, I was like twenty one, right, twenty right. years old. And so I wanted to be more and then you know, I was kind of from the streets. But you know, <clears throat> right, but your sound wasn't from the vert, correct? Because we—that's what we were doing. So your sound wasn't. 
it wouldn't have matched up. It wouldn't have matched. So up. it was cool. I, and listen, it, it was. I, I, I liked your sound. Everybody liked the sound. Your sound. No, I love the, the sound. sound. The like, sound come was on, great. you know what we produced no, off the first right. album. The so great. the sound, I'm not mad at. The look, I was mad at. But you know what? I played my position. Right. I played my position because it wasn't about me. Mm -hmm. You know. So I just suck it up. It was just my personal opinion. Now let's stick on this sound thing for a minute, and, and Gerald and all of that, because. I think Gerald Levert and you guys were creating a, a certain sound that was a Cleveland sound as well. Mm -hmm. It was unique because of the fact that, you know, like you say, Jodeci's and those guys, they had their sound and the way they were going, and it was other groups that were coming out, Troop and all these other groups. Mm -hmm. But it was a sort of sound that you guys had, Levert had, that the OJs had. Mm -hmm. So, no, it was important that you guys did Yeah, it, because it was different sounds. You, you had the new Jack Swing. Yeah, was it was a totally in. different sound. You had, you had like a, a New Yorkish sound mm -hmm. because... Puffy was coming with Correct. with Jodeci. He was Correct. producing them, and they was doing that. Correct. And our sound was definitely more so like a traditional, mm -hmm. soulful sound, R&B. And then we did try to interject mm -hmm. some rap in it here Correct. and there because things was changing. It was like a real mm -hmm. different time. So you think with the way music is now, you think that sound could survive still today? I mean, written all over your faces. Still the out most, there. Uh, I yeah. mean, I'm, I don't mean to shoot ahead, but mm -hmm. I mean, is is one of the most recurrent played songs is in mid mid rotation across the mm -hmm. world. And a lot of consistently. those consistently. And then that sound. So that still, sound, yeah, it, it's classic. I mean, them some, the, back then that's classic stuff. This mm -hmm. timeless mm -hmm. stuff that come out now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on it, yeah, and that's but not, it's not, that's not right. it's not, I don't think that it's some stuff, it's some things here and there that may sustain, mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, there's nothing like the, that 90s era is the last of the great. Of the great, and yeah. Maybe early 2000s, the last of the great era, mm -hmm. you know, because we were spinning off the 70s, so, mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. we put a little pizzazz with the gospel. With the gospel. It, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's what I was saying when I started off, when I said I, I ended up putting on I heard written all over your face, and then it just mm. like, let me put it on, and I just start just really flashing back to that time. It was mm. just like, damn, music was just so great back then, yeah, you man, know, really, and the really. times were just really, the music was great. Times was kind of crazy and chaotic, like you say. It was. <laughs> it was. I mean, you got to figure back then, the changing of the bl of black culture, the yeah. crack era. Crack was era. Oh, it in. was crazy. And you know what I'm saying? It was to be like... The, at the beginning, but you know, our neighborhoods was going down, going bro. down, going down. But the music was the music amazing. was amazing. So, you know, you yeah. got people getting high, <laughs> tripping, but they, they, they having fun, they getting high, but they, they got some good music they, to get they, high they, with, I guess. Right. <laughs> but it was sad to say, but, it, was, you know. it was sad to say, but the music was great because and the rap, the, all and of it, all of it was all good. Of it. All, all of it was it. good. That era is cold. So, let's go back. You know, you how did you get to I want to get to when I first met you. So now you guys went in New York and you did your photo shoot, mm -hmm. and now you're getting ready to start touring a little bit and going places. And the first album is about to hit. And what was the first song that you thought was going to be the number one song on that album? Written all over your face. You from from day one, you knew day that one. was going to day be day one the song. when we did it in the studio. We knew because if you ever let it go to the end, we talking, we like whoop, right. whoop, whoop. Right. We, I mean, we knew the feeling of the song was going to be amazing. So. Right before you met me, we were on a tour, on a promotional tour. Mm -hmm. We had just actually got back in Cleveland the day the day before 
to do, you mm. know, when we go into what we talking about. Uh -huh. And so we had been this all over, like down in the down south or whatever. And I never forget our last stop was in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Then we came back to Cleveland, and that's when you first seen us. At the so we Western. had been rolling, but we was promoting mm -hmm. a, a, another song that wasn't really doing all that great. It hit the charts though. Which one was that? Come on, let's do this. Really? Yeah, come on, let's do this, man. End up going like thirty nine on the charts. So mm -hmm. at that time, I'm like, I done made the Billboard chart. That's a success to me. Right. But to the company, they like, nah, man, nah. we got to figure out what we're going to do next. Mm -hmm. So at that time that we came back to do the Glenville Festival mm -hmm. where you mm -hmm. first seen us, mm -hmm. we were going back and forth with Atlantic Records like, what's the next single? And we were like written all in their face. And Sylvia Rohn, the senior vice president, was like, nah, that song ain't going on. Really? Man. <laughs> really? She didn't wow. believe in it. Wow. I hate to even have to be saying this stuff. Oh, wait, but I gotta, man, but that's I gotta tell I, the truth. That's how Sylvia did not think the song would have the sustainability really? to go big on the charge. So we had to fight mm. written all over your face. Literally, like Gerald came to he's like, man, what y'all think? Written all over your face, man. Now I'm gonna tell you, like I, I was telling you in the opening, when I first met you, it was the Glenville Festival. Mm -hmm. And I had an opportunity to Grow up in the greatest community in Cleveland, where my horn at is called Glenville. Oh, and Latifi ain't on his job. No, there you go. He's just not on his job today. There you go. He just did it. <laughs> so, oh, there you go. Yeah, you heard the first time. That's with him. So we, so growing up in that community, I had an opportunity to be on the very first Glenville Festival and festivals after that and after that and. I was the greatest job in the Glenville Festival was always if you was working in entertainment because entertainment had all the good people who was coming in. And back then, like you say, it was all kinds of people coming into the festival and all kinds of things. So to have that job, to be working in entertainment, to be on stage is where you want to be. And mm -hmm. I was on stage when Levert came and did the Glenville Festival when Sean and their group came back out. Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. And then when you guys came. Right, so I was there at that same show. At that same show. And wanted to be on the stage. Yep. I was sitting either on a speaker or I was standing there trying to tell people, hey, you can't come up here. Right, right. One of those, I had got one of those positions. But I remember when you guys came, because like I was saying, you guys were dressed in all white. Which was oh. the real big thing, because I was like, this dude's got them all white, you know? And, and the stuff we had on was hot as hell. It was hot. It, it was hot. hot. It was hot. Man, it was hot. And we had on white. Y'all had on all white, and y'all sung y'all songs. And I remember Gerald singing that written all over your face, man. And yeah, we wanted to try it. it. We wanted to try it. it on the crowd. Like, we like, man, we'll on yeah. this Glenville Festival show. First of all, mm -hmm. getting to that, we did do the Glenville Festival. So the first year, that one year that you seen Gerald and them, mm -hmm. I was there. Mm -hmm. I was a young teenager looking like, wow, I want to be up there. Then we came as a group mm -hmm. by ourselves, like just as a local, as okay. some locs. We came and did the show. Mm -hmm. but this time when we came home, people were aware because our song, Come On, Let's Do This, was on Video Soul already. So mm -hmm. people had seen this on BET at this mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. But that single was fading out, mm -hmm. and we wanted to... Test run written. I'm like, man, we got to do mm. written, Gerald. We want to come out. Mm -hmm. We want to do our thing. It's so cool. I never get here on gray, short set, with some <laughs> white shoes. <laughs> so y'all just made it on this. So y'all, we're going to just yeah, do we're gonna do it. Like, wow. Gerald's like, all right, we're going to do it. And so we did like a, we did, come on, let's do this. Mm -hmm. Like another song. Mm -hmm. And then we did written all over your face. And Gerald came out and it killed you. Was killed out there. You killed it. Killed and so it. I was just like, see, I'm telling you, this should be the next single. Wow. We knew, man, because. Wow. 
man, it's rare that a group can introduce a new song. Wow. That people have never heard. Wow. And it has the impact like that song did. Oh, and, and just think about it. Remember back then in Glenville Festival, it was at that big field on St. Clair. Mm -hmm. so right next get, to the YMCA. Next to the YMCA. So we can say it was easily almost seven, 8,000 people. Packed, easily. Easily. Packed. I mean, you know what? At that time, when we did the Glenville Festival, that was the biggest crowd yeah, that I ever performed exactly. in front of at that time. Yeah, that crowd used to go from one end of the thing all the yep. way to St. Clair. So they, I remember they used to get numbers like after we, like they said maybe 10,000 people beat them walk through there that day. Mm -hmm. So that was a huge crowd, and they rocked it. Y'all rocked that one. So Killed I, it, bro. I, I remember I'll that. I never get so that that and from that standpoint, then what made y'all then from there, Gerald say, all right, we all in on this one. I take it. Well, the label. See, back then the labels were so in control, man. Like the stuff that we wore mm -hmm. on the, for the photo shoots, they would determine. Mm -hmm. The video directors they would wow. choose. So wow. you were really, you know. And Gerald, I used to feel like Gerald had the power, but I soon came to find out, like I write in my book, that Gerald it wasn't all on Gerald. He mm -hmm. really had to work with the label. Mm -hmm. Some stuff we didn't get that we wanted. Mm -hmm. Some things we did, mm -hmm. and so we convinced Sylvie. She's like, all right, we gonna mm -hmm. put it out. And boy, and from there, the rest is history. Mm -hmm. I mean, it broke the record for being one of the songs on the R&B charts for the longest to get to number one. Wow! And I never forget, we got to number two finally after touring everywhere, doing video soul with Donnie Simpson and BET. Mm -hmm. We did the Apollo. Mm -hmm. We did Soul Train with Don Cornelius, <laughs> Party Machine with Near Peoples, mm -hmm. and it got to number two. So we like, man, we just, we was in like number three, number two, like three or four weeks waiting. Wow. But it was one monster that was up at that number one spot that kept us, and that would be Whitney Houston. Oh, that's All a the big one. All that I need. Yeah. And we just was waiting. I was like, man, is this woman going to get out the way? <laughs> Never. And when, you know, Whitney was Whitney. She Whitney's was powerful, hard, so man, yeah. We was just like waiting. To, and this show you how good the song was. Mm -hmm. Still stayed at number two for like four weeks. You on Whitney. Four weeks, wow. Whitney, waiting on Whitney to move, wow. and then we had two. That's cool. And then it, the day finally came, mm -hmm. and Whitney moved on down out the way. Really? Written all her face, went up to and number one. And you stayed one. up. Wow. We went to number one, wow. and we went to number 13 on the pop chart. Mm -hmm. Which is good. Which was great. Right, right. Yeah, because we was doing, we found ourselves doing some shows in areas where we, like, it's only us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and it was there. Like, we, our song was so hot. That we were doing two cities a day, man. Really? Promotion. We would land in one city, go to the record store, sign autographs, do interviews, and then we jump right back on the plane, mm. go to another place and do a promotion, do it for the radio. We was it was that hot. Every radio station wanted us to do their shows, like the outdoor shows, mm. the radio shows that they give, their concerts. And man, I mean, we was on the move. So what was your biggest crowd you you performed in front of? Biggest crowd, I, like as far as the most people. Most people. So many, man. I, I can't even. So many, man. Right. Big. But this was the most important crowd to me. It mm -hmm. was my hometown. Right. And so it it was bigger. Like even though I was in other cities and states doing, when it came to something about the Glenville Festival, that, that shit was crazy, bro. It oh, was yeah. big. Well, and that's a home crowd. It, it was, and, and it was the home crowd. Yeah. But we had been doing crowds like that. I think I'd be scared half to death to walk out on the stage. I couldn't even think about how you Only stage, that. two stages I was nervous on. Mm -hmm. Soul Train. 
I'm looking at Don Cornelius. Now, that's just like a studio, though. Yeah, right? but it's but still. You, it's still, <laughs> still. And you lip syncing, too. You got to really? make sure your lips are on time. With the, by that time, we lip right. But I'm looking at Don Cornelius. Right. Well, everybody lip sync. Big icon, Don right. Cornelius. Just uh -huh. looking at him like, mm -hmm. like, whoa. Yeah. So, and then, of course, the most nervous, the Apollo. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. You got to be, you got to yeah. have nerves of steel you to be on that stage because you now, can you be a known artist and get booed Rude Boys. Huh? Y'all went as the Rude Boys on the yeah, ball? Yeah, we was performing Written Off Pace and mm. our song, Jero came out. Mm -hmm. We killed the crowd at the Apollo. The, the, we came out the, on Soul the lady Train. all up front. She was there, named Eva. Her name was Eva. That's her name. Up there doing her thing. Miss Eva came up there with the Jerry girl. You know, it, it wasn't good if Eva didn't come, up, come there. up there. Right. She came up there for us. So Jerry yeah. came out. If you go on YouTube, you look at it, we killed it. Okay. We went on uh, Apollo. You know, we, we, we killed it on Apollo. We killed it on Soul Train, even though it wasn't a crowd, but it still was. Well, I guess you, to your point, like you say, it don't, the the big, big crowd don't matter. Because like you said, when it was just you standing in front of Eddie. I mean, the biggest yeah, crowd, you say most that, important crowd that I ever performed in was at the American Music Award with Black Men United. Mm -hmm. Now that, you're talking okay. like, man, mm -hmm. big. You're on the American Music Awards. So right. that trumps Everything. everything right you know what I'm saying? right but you know during that time we were just starting and we were just doing all the shows going on video soul bt mm -hmm. we was doing bt concerts because bt used to have like stuff that people didn't see on tv big concerts right all the radio station outdoor concerts was huge like glenville mm -hmm. festival so which which iconic celebrity you met that you was like hell that's the Stevie one. Wonder dude. Steve, you met Stevie? Stevie Wonder, yes, man. That that's a long story. I can't go in. Right. But I met Stevie Wonder first and Drew introduced me to him. And when he introduced me to him, Stevie's like, Oh, the rule boys is written on loving <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he went and did his thing. I'm like, and I put on Drew, I'm like, man, Stevie knows our song. He's like, Stevie knows everything. Wow. I'm like, man, and and I never forget Stevie Wonder's like, man, yeah, the Rude Boys, I love y'all. He said, I got a new album I'm working on, Private Conversation. I want y'all to get on it. I got boys and men gonna be on it, and I want y'all on it too. Mm. So I was like, all right. But Gerald's like, Stevie bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, he ain't. But weeks, I was like, man, Stevie call you? He was like, no. Wow. Like, call Stevie. He was like, all right, I put out calls. We couldn't catch him. We never got to work with Stevie. So that was the most important person then. Later on, Aretha Franklin, but that's later on. Later on. The, I'll tell you about it. But. At Gerald's funeral. At Gerald's funeral, mm -hmm. I know some people who work for the city, so I ain't going to use their names, but they mm -hmm. work for the city. And they were helping all the celebrities come on in so that they can park. You know, they was giving mm -hmm. them special parks so they can get in. Stevie Wonder's car pulls up, and he comes in, and Stevie Handler gets out and says, Hey, Mr. Wonder wants to use the bathroom. You know, wow. before he goes upstairs, and they was like, "Okay, let him go in." The, they had a little bathroom over there. Mm -hmm. It was like in the parking garage, and they go in there. The guy comes back out, and he says, "Hey, the light in there doesn't work." And he said, "Okay." So he tells the guy from the city, "Hey, man, the light doesn't work." So the guy goes, "Stevie can't see it." <laughs> so the guy calls on his walkie-talkie. He says. Hey, you know, so-and-so, the light isn't working in the bathroom in here. Stevie Wonder can't go in there and use the bathroom. And so Stevie Wonder, the guy standing the guy comes back on the He's like, man, Stevie can't see any damn way, man. <laughs> I knew so it. So just go in there and use it anyway. Man, and he's just crazy. like looking at him. And they looked at him. He said Stevie and his guy just bust out laughing, man. And they that's went in there one. and used the bathroom. <laughs> and then they went on up to the That's a close thing. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. But let me tell you about written all over your face. And because and, and, we're going to move on 
on because we want to talk about your coffee mm-hmm. and, and how iconic your song is. And, and everybody knows it and how big a deal it is. It's that. So I got this thing with my daughter and then they always, everybody's be listening to my music. They always talk about they don't like it and they don't like it. Then really? months later or a few weeks later, I hear them playing it. Mm-hmm. Be like, look, she done stole it anyway. She done took one of my songs. So the other day, about a week ago, she was playing, it's written all over your face. So I thought maybe she ran across it on her line or just playing it. Then I heard her playing it again. And I said, oh, she done stole the song. So then I thought about it. I said, well, she know Joe Little's coming on the program. So maybe she's doing her background. She done looked up Joe and said, oh, okay, let me hear what he's been doing. So I asked her yesterday. I said, hey. I said, so you know Joe's coming on the program tomorrow. She said, yeah. I said, okay. I said, well, you know he got a song on your list that you be listening to, right? She said, what song? I said, okay. So if you ain't going to say it, I said, you know he got a song. Because I'm thinking she got to be bullcrapping with me. Come on. Right. Man. You know, dude coming on the show. You're doing this thing. I know you know. She said, what song are you talking about? And I said, it's a song he has on the show. You don't know his song. She said, he don't have. I haven't looked at him. She's going through. we going back and forth. Then my wife finally yelled out the room. It's written all over your face. And she said, oh, that's him. Really? Uh, and I was like, yeah. And she said, I got it. So I said, where you get the song from? She said, I took it from a friend of hers. This wow. dude was listening to it. She said, I heard him playing it. I liked it. So I took it from him. Wow. So just to let you know. Volumes, a whole yeah, other generation. A whole other generation. A couple. And I told her, I said, well, yesterday, I said, you know, that song 30 years old. Absolutely. And, and she was like, wow. So. She didn't even know that that's what you did. And so the whole thing today is just really probably mind-blowing and tripping her out. But I know that that happened. And I was like, wow, that's so let you know, man. You're right. The song has been going on. Me and Latif talked about, hey, man, it's a big accomplishment to be able to do something and still, you know, be able to travel the world and still people doing it. I looked at the video of you singing it out there in the U.K., the best part about singing these songs and when they get old, me and T was saying, you know, you can get out there and you can say it's written all over you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everybody know the words. Oh, yeah, Everybody singing. And I was surprised by that when you got there. I, first of all, I looked at the room and saw how many brothers was in the room out there. I was really surprised by that. I was, that packed packed? Out. I was like, wow. Hey. You just got back from the UK. Yeah, I just got back from the UK. It's like my, what, fourth time going. Mm-hmm. But every time I go, is all love, man. And I love the UK. I love London, England. Mm. It's just a great, it's a great place. You know, it's cool. It's different. Mm-hmm. But just the people out there, the fans are, they, they, they don't get us here okay. in America. They don't get to see us mm-hmm. all the time. So it's a big deal, you know, when you go out there and it's, you get treated like royalty, like the wow. place is. And, you know, I got to go see a lot of, this time around, I got a chance to go and see some sights. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it was a great experience, man. It was a long flight, but you know, that's a long flight. I've been around all the world, man. So this flight's way longer than that. Bro. How long was that flight? Seven hours and about fifty minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've yeah. been on flights way longer than okay. that, like right. double that. Okay. You know, so, okay. Yeah, you go to Africa, you got to be on there. Yeah. A long time, <laughs> bro. And so, yeah, just just a great experience, man. Mm-hmm. A great experience out in the UK. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking to go back forward. I think I might be going back again this year. Okay. For the year out. Mm-hmm. Sometime maybe in June or July mm-hmm. to do a show. So loving to go out there because, you know, artists, being an artist from the 90s, we get paid more out there too, man. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, and it's different. You know, over mm-hmm. here they mm-hmm. low, try to lowball you. But mm-hmm. over there, <laughs> good money, man. And it's good. And it's, you get treated really great. 
So you know, I you got it. You got any um, music projects coming out? You doing any? Um, still well, writing and going producing some? Yeah, new music? man, I've been putting out music up under Brother to Bro- Brother to Brother International. Okay, which is a label that's owned by my partner Mark Jenkins and myself. Okay, he's the president of the label. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've been putting out songs since two, with White Side two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. We've been putting out records. So I got like five videos out there okay. of songs that I put out. So I'm always currently working on music. Been, you know, y'all go to YouTube and just put in Joe Little the Third. Mm-hmm. You can see all the current stuff that I got. But right now I'm working on my book, which is called mm-hmm. uh, Day of the Convincing Storyteller, mm-hmm. which I'll be releasing before the year is out, mm-hmm. along with a, a studio album to complement the book. So and an audio book. So what, what's the name of the book again? The Day Day of the Convincing Storyteller is a memoir of my life. Oh, that's a lot more, much more than what I, you know, we uh-huh. talk about right. today. So, <laughs> exactly. But I've given you uh-huh. highlights of the book uh-huh. actually through uh-huh. this this interview. All the things that you are hearing that we talking about is going to be in the book and then some. And you said you was going to do an audio book and yes. and what was the other thing? A, a EP, which okay. is songs to go with the book. Really? The album. Yeah. Okay. So I'm doing that. I'm working on that. And just on Brother to Brother International, me mm-hmm. and my partner's label, along with my, you know, my cousin, the White Side Show. I got to give him a <laughs> shout out. He's sitting right. over there. That's mm-hmm. my, my right hand. Okay. He, he's with me everywhere I go, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, just got a team behind me. You know. Let me ask you a question on the music scene in Cleveland. How hard is it to get through as an artist in Cleveland in the music industry? Hard. Because if you just stand in Cleveland, you, you're not really going to get nowhere. You got to go to Atlanta. You got to go to L.A., maybe New York. You got to just go where you can be seen and heard, you know. Or this is the independent area. So you can put out stuff. You have to build your fan base. And you can get discovered, you mm-hmm. know, because it's independent. Mm-hmm. So it's on the artist themselves to break through. Find a way to set yourself apart from other people to make something unique about you for people to gravitate to you know and so that's that's what the music business is all about it's a free for all it's like the wild wild west Mm -hmm. you can come up Mm -hmm. you don't have to depend on the big labels no more to sign you right so you can be in cleveland Mm -hmm. and get breakthrough Mm -hmm. by way of building your youtube channel your ig your social networks Mm -hmm. and like blowing up the spot spending some money into pushing your brand and Mm -hmm. your music and it can happen so you don't really have to be, you know, kind of scale back on that. You don't really have to be any spots, but it would be better, you know, because back in like 2011, 2012, I left Cleveland and moved to Atlanta and stayed okay. there mm-hmm. for, for quite a, quite some time. Mm-hmm. And that's where I got the Rude Boys branding back up to par okay. to a certain place, which we're still working on branding the Rude Boys and getting more shows and doing more touring. You know, I'm doing a lot of touring on my own. And with the Rude Boys, so okay. you know I'm a, the only original member left right now mm-hmm. um, that's performing with the Rude Boys. So I got uh, Kenny Miles with me, mm-hmm. Chila Bo, another guy named Black Rose that I've had. This you know he's been doing some shows with me also. He was part of Levert too. Okay, Gordon. Mm-hmm. And so you know just keeping on pushing the brand, man. Keep pushing the brand, and yes, and you still keeping it going. Yeah, but that that monstrous monstrous song keep it going. That keeps it going, man. Yes, sir, That's all absolutely. you need, man. That's all you need. So I appreciate you coming on the show, and like always, before we end the show, I'm gonna let you have this camera right here, man, to tell the people. Make sure you give them the website again, how they can reach to get all of your stuff, man. Make sure they got your IG all that information and tell people how they can reach out to you. Yo, what's up? This is Joe Little of the Rude Boys, lead singer. This is my coffee company, Urbane Joe. 
This is my coffee. You can go to urbingjoe.coffee to get my coffee. You can go to my YouTube channel, Joe Little the Third. You can go to my IG, Joe Little Rude Boys Official. Facebook, Joey Beans. That's my name. If you Google Joey Beans, I'm the only Joey Beans with a Z on the beans that's going to pop up. Joe Little the Third. Go check it out. Brother to Brother International is the label that I'm on and that I'm part of. Mark Jenkins is the senior, is the, the president. Got the white side show on my team always, my cuzzo. And we just doing what we do out here. We just out here trusting in the higher power and making moves. So that's what it do. One more thing. Just want to send a shout out to my lost brothers from the Rude Boys. Ooh. Larry Bingo Marcus, rest in peace. Buddy Edward Banks, rest in peace. And my brother Melvin Cephas, get well soon. As you see, it's all over my face. I am happy that this brother took the time to come on my podcast. So, again, thanks you for watching, and we'll see you next week. This is Strategic Moves with Ken Dow.